0: I think mine was I was on day seven out of 11 days straight of doubles that I was doing. And I just couldn't come up with menus anymore. I mean, you have burnout, mental health burnout, but we also have menu burnout. And usually, you know, when there were three of us, it was fine. We all have, we have three brains that we can pick. We have, we have three creative brains that we can make whatever happen. And then when it comes down to, oh yeah, you need technically three meals a day or three entrees, three whatever, three plates a day and you just have to be able to come up with that on your own and i mean they're very healthy individuals so it was very veggie heavy and in michigan i'm like we only have a certain amount of veggies that i can use here so i was trying to be creative on that and i just that's where the menu burnout hit me hard
1: hello and welcome to this week's episode of the burnt chef journal a hospitality specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier, and more sustainable hospitality profession. This week, I am joined by Belle Patterson, who reached out to us via social media. She wanted to talk about some of her experiences from a private chefing background. Obviously, we have a lot of people from various different backgrounds, both hospitality in and out of the industry. Bell wanted to talk specifically about an up-to-date example that she had of working in private hospitality, the impact that that had on her and we had a, quite an open discussion about ways in which it could be done differently and whether or not she would continue to do it. So, if there's anyone out there who is in the private hospitality sector currently, this one is definitely for you and for anyone who perhaps isn't familiar with it. It was definitely uh, a valuable insight and an interesting insight for me and i hope it is for you as well so i hope you enjoy this week's episode the burnt chef project is proudly sponsored by lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative high quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow working carefully with sustainably minded farmers and growers Lamb Western provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges, and mash. To find out more, head to lambwestern.eu or search your partner in potatoes. Hit record. hmm yeah. Just so that we're all going. <laughs> but, and obviously, this is the first time. this is the first time you and I have spoken. I mean, you mm-hmm. reached out on social media just before Christmas now, didn't you? Yeah. and with an opportunity to try and hopefully just uncover a little bit more about your experiences working as a private chef both mm-hmm. uh, right both on the seas and off the seas as a private chef yeah yep. and okay. i was doing H- hit me with it how long have you been doing that for like when did that will start
0: that actually all started in june so it actually hasn't been that long i mean i did some time in restaurants both front of house and back of house in the u.s so i was Pretty much located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I did front of house for a little bit at actually our school where we went to culinary school. Where I went to culinary school, there is a restaurant open to the public that is completely run by students and then two teachers, one for front of house, obviously, one for back of house. But the servers, everything were all students. And so I came in as a student, got to know it, and then decided to continue working there. So I helped out with mainly the front of house, but back of house, if they were lacking in students because of enrollment, everything that happened during COVID, I would jump in there as well. But so I did that front of house for a while. And then I was a personal chef. So I own La Petite, which is a personal chef company that I actually opened two weeks before the COVID shutdown, which was unfortunate, but we made it work. Oh, actually, personal chefs did really well during COVID because everybody wanted... To do something special for birthdays and for events and stuff like that, or they wanted food to be delivered, and I was able to do the no contact delivery—just leave it at doorstep, send them a text, that kind of stuff—and then I got it from there into the private world back in June, and it was not what I expected. I mean, it was—it's just all crazy. It's a lot of fun. You have a lot of creativity. You get to meet some amazing people, but it is high stress, high standards, and just very intense for a long time.
1: What took you into that though? Like you've gone from student to sort of helping (laughs) with the restaurant, to doing your own, Mm -hmm. you know, your own personal stuff. What on earth took you from that into working for sort of private clients on that sort of scale? What was it that enticed you into that side of things?
0: I wanted to do something different. And I had just finished college with my bachelor's degree in business administration, hospitality management. So that was back in May and I was applying everywhere to do anything at this point. I was pretty open to wherever life took me next, essentially. But when I got the opportunity to apply for this private chef role, I was told that it would be a great learning experience, the executive chef. So basically, the way that it worked there was there is an executive chef, and then sous chef, and then we had an intern. I was being interviewed for the sous chef role. And the executive chef was highly recommended. I could learn a lot from him, it would be a great learning experience. And he is he, he was phenomenal. He just didn't stay very long. <laughs> So unfortunately, he ended up leaving to go to a different position about a month and a half after I started working there. But yeah, that, that was kind of how I went into it. And it got to the point where, I mean, I was applying everywhere. And it's either, it just, it felt right. And it was in Grand Rapids. So I was able to stay and kind of learn from, you know, I was able to stay in Grand Rapids, be around family and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I have the experience of both on land at sea so being able to work on yachts as well as being able to serve on private you know on these jets we would go from one place to the other or whatnot there was just so much to learn in one area essentially that i decided that you know i'll take the risk i'll take the challenge and do that hoping that i would be able to learn a lot out of it which i did for sure
1: (laughs) it sounds like i mean a lot of our listeners will be used to Serving food from a central kitchen or serving in a certain restaurant and if mm-hmm. you front a house or yeah you know, even with we got listeners from all parts of hospitality including housekeeping and maintenance mm-hmm. as well you know what it's like when you're in your venue you know how your venue operates you know where your suppliers are you know yep. your, what staffing levels you have I mean how does that differ when you're doing the sort of private chefing that you're talking about and you, you could be at one minute on one mode of transport and the next minute on a completely different one that's taken to the skies how on earth yep. do you deal with that how do you handle that?
0: A lot of caffeine, <laughs> a lot of coffee. That was part of the thing is that when I was being interviewed, they were like, okay, you have to be adaptable. i was like, well, okay, I'm good at adapting. I can I can make whatever work. I can take curveballs and everything as they come. And and then at one point it was like, all right, I need you to be on a plane tomorrow morning from Grand Rapids to Maine. And I was like, well, I need to find somebody to watch my dogs. I need to pack. I'm about to be on a boat for seven days after I just worked 10 days straight. And you just have to, you just have to roll with the punches. You just have to go with it, which at first was insane and just absolutely terrifying in a way. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I just had to suck it up and just do with it. And honestly, I think adrenaline really took over for a lot of it, which not necessarily is a good thing, but it did protect me. I mean, that was, it's part of the gig being a private chef you just have to be able to go with okay well usually we're serving two guests now we're going to add 10 more to that and you just have to be able to figure it out but everything's a variable the one constant that you have is that stuff is unpredictable and you just have to be able to go with it
1: so they weren't wrong in the interview then when they said that you had to be adaptable you literally yeah <laughs> that's pretty much it sums up the role in one right
0: yeah they nailed it they really did they they said oh you have to be adaptable and just be able to go with the flow. Yeah, you know, you're essentially on call 24-7. I mean, I would have my work phone and then my personal phone and I would be checking emails or having to answer questions when I wasn't there. And it was it's insane.
1: Did you get to travel? Did you get to see some like decent sites? Have you, have you been anywhere like really cool since you started that role?
0: Yeah, I mean, we were on the yacht from, I got on in Maine and then we ended up taking it all the way back to Michigan. So through Canada and that kind of stuff. So I was able to see a lot of Canada, which was really cool. And places that were on my bucket list, like the Prince Edward Islands were just absolutely wonderful. And people were just so sweet and nice there. And just being able to be out at sea, being able to see whales was really cool. Just stuff like that. I mean, a lot of the traveling hasn't, I mean, comes up in the more summer season, essentially. But in the summer, like we would switch from one house to a different location about an hour away. And it's a whole different ballgame there. We have some different staff. I have a whole vegetable garden that I would be using when we were actually at the estate, which was great. I mean, it was awesome. I didn't expect for my job as a private chef to also include being a gardener and having to learn about how to keep these plants alive, because I'm not great with that. I can keep kids and animals and people alive, but plants, that was all up for grabs. I was like, I should not be the person for this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a, that's a lot of responsibility.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was more than I thought it was going to be things like doing beverage stuff. I mean, more things like you're going to pick wines and do pairings and that kind of stuff. And obviously cook, provision, do meals, serve, set the table. All of that stuff is a normal chef's role as a private chef, right? You're doing all that stuff, but then there's always more to it. There's never, I mean, you always end up doing stuff that you didn't expect to do or have any idea what to do, like the gardening. Like I, I have no idea. I'm just not the best with plants. And I had to figure out how to make sure that my zucchini didn't die and how to cut tomatoes so that they keep growing, but they don't die. And it was just – so there's always more added to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of me, that sounds quite interesting, right? Like you get an opportunity to – We get so used to having suppliers dropped off at the back door, don't we? And in boxes and, Mm -hmm. you know, you prep them and, yeah, you've got a bit of wastage. But with this, you have to make sure that you're laser focused on making sure that, yeah, you're not wasting anything because you've taken a long time to grow it. But also at the same time that you continue to get goods from those plants or from those areas, that's pretty cool in a really Mm -hmm. challenging way, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And at first I was very intimidated by the garden, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, wow, I really just can't keep these things alive. But it ended up like with all the chaos and everything that, you know, events and everything that was going on at the house and with the the principals, it, it just kind of became I was like, Oh, I'll go out to the garden and go grab that because it just became my little peace area where mm-hmm. nobody talked to me when I was in the garden. There wasn't a ton of questions being thrown at me, there was no stress in the garden, it was just I could just be in there and just take a minute to breathe. <laughs> So that's what the garden did actually end up becoming for me, which is not what I expected when I took the position, How <laughs> especially since the executive chef completely handed it over. He said, this garden is not mine. He was like, I don't want to do the gardening. It's all yours. The old sous chef that I replaced was the one who planted it and wanted to put all these things in there. And I was like, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's my job.
1: <laughs> well, So it became a place of solace, which is quite cool. There was a chap that I knew down in the south coast of England and he had uh, it inherited an old Victorian wall garden. Shout out to James if he's listening to this. But he said the great thing <laughs> about that wall garden was, a chef, he can disappear off into the wall garden. He can grow different things, you know, like graffiti aubergines and mm-hmm. finger limes and things that perhaps weren't native necessarily to this okay. country. But he said it was just getting his hands in the dirt with his tunes on or on his own just listening to the birds. Mm-hmm. And so it was absolutely you know, to be able to have that intervention, I guess, in the whole cycle of, of being able to prep. And he said it always tasted so much better as well once he'd grown it himself. It was always that much mm-hmm. sweeter. You know, the the flavors were, yep. were much better. So in terms of your private chefing career, are you still private chefing now? Are you still doing it?
0: Right now, I... So actually, uh, in total honesty, the principals decided that after a few decades of having private chefs, they didn't want any... So the whole kitchen staff was eliminated, including my position. So right now I'm in a a little area. I mean, I ended up coming to the East Coast to see some family and just to get some time away and time to refresh because I haven't seen them in a while. And then I'll go back into it. But yeah, so I was let go after six months of working there just because they didn't know what they wanted with their kitchen staff. and. When I got hired, there were three of us, and then the executive chef decided to take a different position, which is totally valid. I mean, the position was incredible. I would have done the same Mm. thing. And then the intern went back to school, but also wanted something that was more fit for his schedule. And obviously, as a private chef, it's not really that way. Your schedule is pretty much run by the principals, and you don't really have much say in it. So then it was just me since October. So the job of three chefs just became mine. And that was intense and exhausting and not the best i mean I'm definitely not the best i've ever been in nor the job that i actually applied for i mean i applied to be a sous chef i didn't want to be if it were executive chef i would not have applied for it because i'm not ready for that position i don't i don't want that position and then it ended up becoming my position even though technically wasn't i was still considered sous chef even after everything happened
1: yeah it must be tricky right
0: yeah it, it's I mean, I've never been let go before, and obviously, I mean, there's no bridges burned or anything like that. It's you know it was the position was eliminated, and I mean, it's their house, it's their life, it's what they want. and you know, it's not like in a restaurant where if you're let go, it's either you do something wrong or the company doesn't have money for it anymore. like for private chefs, it's just all about what the principals want. and right now they just didn't want any private chefs. they just wanted some time for them. I mean, they want to do a lot more traveling which is great for them. I mean, I wish them 100% the best. Yeah. And it gives me a little bit of a break too, which is kind of nice, especially after those holidays where uh, they were rough. To
1: say yeah, the so least. talk to me what went on because I think there's a lot of our audience out there are mm-hmm. used to perhaps experiencing a, you know, a man down or ultimately mm-hmm. inheriting a senior position that perhaps they didn't want or they weren't quite ready mm-hmm. for. So what was that like for, yourself about having to manage all of that in October and did you feel that there was any, did you have any say in any of that at all?
0: I had zero say in anything. I really fought and continued to fight and I know that that was probably part of the issue and there was also, you know, stuff going through with the estate manager was leaving as well and so in the private world usually the principals talk to the estate manager, the estate manager is the one who runs everyone else, right? So all of the employees from housekeepers to groundskeepers, maintenance, everything. So the people that we talk to or whoever the estate manager is, they're the manager, they're the boss of you directly. For me, it was a little different because I am the one person on the entire team that always is in direct contact with the principals. I mean, I'm serving them dinner. I'm in their house. I'm the one who's there until 9 p.m. at night. It's just very different. I'm the one who travels with them. So that part of it is just very different. It's not like, and I talked to it about the groundskeepers and they can just kind of go in their own little world and then the maintenance building and be on the grounds and just kind of do their thing. They don't really interact with the principals very often. Whereas my job, my entire job revolved directly around them. So it was very different on that aspect. So yes, I had to go to the estate manager, but also I had direct contact with the principals themselves. So it was interesting trying to find a balance between that. So the estate manager was leaving. So it was all chaos, pretty much trying to transition out of the estate. With the estate manager leaving, you have this entire staff and we have multiple teams. And then my team just ended up being me, which was insane. And so I I really fought hard to get another private chef because I knew that's what I needed. I knew that's what they needed at the end of the day because I was working these crazy days, crazy hours, and I could see that my food quality was decreasing i was hurting myself more you know doing stupid things like picking up a tray that i knew that i just took out of the oven just because i was so tired i was just completely in autopilot essentially and so i knew that in order for them to get the best quality that they deserve and that they're requesting and what they expect and what i want for them i would need another private chef and that just never it never happened and then some of these other things we brought in some personal chefs to just drop off two meals a week so that at least I could get a day or two off. But even then, so it just didn't, it was never enough to help me to help them essentially. And then for Christmas, it's, here's all these events you have to do. (laughs) Here's all these baked goods that on top of doing regular meals every single day, you know, lunch and dinner. And so it's one course at lunch, two courses at dinner. Dinner is also wine pairing. And then after dinner, they usually have like an after dinner drink. So it's usually like hot water and lemon or tea or whatever. And so that was still every day, you know, on top of the normal responsibilities of making sure that there's waters in every refrigerator around the house, making sure that all the things that they want stocked, like snacks or baked goods or coffees and that kind of stuff, everything is up to par. The inventory is there. And it's a a big house. It's a big property. (laughs) So it's just kind of Jesus. crazy that yeah and it's so it was a lot on top of everything else and I was also responsible for doing bouquets and making centerpieces and I was like I have no idea how to make a bouquet. I don't know what look it flowers they look great and <laughs> so for me like that was you know like the garden it was just I I had no idea how to do this so I ended up taking just a random Ten dollar class at one of our craft stores nearby, just to learn basics on making a bouquet, how to make it semi look good, and I was able to wing it. But yeah, so yeah, you know, there's three bouquets at least once a week. They're changed into more bouquets, and it's like well, I don't know, I didn't know what these flowers were, but I guess I do now. And it was so much, and I, you know, do all of that normal stuff, which was already a lot. Onto hey, we have all these events coming up. And you're here to serve, you're here to prep, that kind of stuff. And I did fight hard enough to bring in actually my significant other, who's also a private chef. And so he's been a private chef solely on yachts for almost three years now. So I actually brought him in because he came home after his contract ended. And I was like, I need extra help in the kitchen. I trust him. I've been working with him. Like He and I went to culinary school together. He's the one person that I trust most in a kitchen. So I was like I don't need to tell him what to do. I don't need to tell him how to do something. He can just do it. So I was able to bring him in actually and help with some of these events because it was just it was so much. And it none of it was hard and that's the thing is I know that they didn't appreciate how much I fought to have another private chef and I know that there were some issues there that I challenged but I just knew that in order for them to get the quality that they needed I need extra hands. None of it was hard and that you know at the end of the day like it's not hard. I can make any of these dishes at any point it's not the dishes that are hard it's not setting the table that's hard none of it's hard it's just i don't have enough hands to do everything in the timeline that they want
1: mm. yeah but lack yeah, of resources so right which is exactly something that people well, we hear time and time again right in in all in all, yep. all sides of the hospitality, massive lack of resources mm-hmm. lack of hands to be able to do the work that he's doing and then you've just touched upon something there that's quite critical is that we need another pair of hands that we don't want to have to train. We don't want to have to mentor. We just mm-hmm. want to be able to get in, do the job autonomously. So I don't have to be disturbed and I can crack on with the workload that I have. And yep. and that there, I think is one of the key issues is that we are always hiring in a do or die situation. Shit. We need more mm-hmm. resources, but I don't have that time to train. And thus the reason why we're, in a position where people just go, wow, well, I'm not learning, so I'm going to move on. It's a self fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy, isn't it?
0: Exactly. It's insane. And until so people realize that you actually, my biggest thing, and probably one of the biggest things that I learned here is one, obviously training. And that's always been a thing in the hospitality industry. Like you're trained. I was trained on the line at the age of 17. Like I started off in a kitchen on the Garmoje station and then went up to apps and pizza and then ended up being on satay later. So ended up going up to the hotline. But, you know, you're trained for it. You're trained. You have that, the buddy system where the person training you is another person working there. It's usually not the sous chef. It's not the executive chef. The executive chef is usually downstairs or wherever working on menus and doing all the paperwork and everything like that. Whereas the sous chef is really the one who's just running the kitchen and expediting and all that kind of stuff, hopping in wherever needed. And so, I mean, I, I started with that, started with the training. And then on this job, It's like, oh, you're going to be trained. And I had this amazing executive chef that is so talented and has so much to offer, but I only got him for a month and a half. (laughs) And then even then the training, because in the private world, there's no SOPs. There's no standard operating procedures. There's nothing. You don't have a binder that tells you what to do because everything changes. The one thing that you're given is you're given a food preference list, right? So what they're allergic to, what they don't like, what they do like, Drinks that they prefer, what they usually eat for breakfast, snacks they want on hand, that kind of stuff. The one that I was given hadn't been updated in years. So the one thing that I was given wasn't even up to date. There were things on there that said they were allergic to. They weren't allergic to it. I watched the executive chef and the intern serve them those things on multiple occasions. So it's all of that on the job learning. I would be working with the executive chef and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't really like cucumbers, just like plainly. And I was like, oh, okay, let me just add that to the food preference list I was given. And that's just an example. I mean, that's not actually true, but that's how it was. It was, he would remember something like, oh, for winter, they like this, or we do this in the winter. And somehow I just had to store that in my head. And that was one of the things that I loved. Or, I mean, it was better for when I started in the industry with less experience and all that kind of stuff is you have a standard operating procedure. You know how this works. Like it said, if you don't know, you can either ask somebody or it's in the book. You can't do that you know I couldn't do that when I was stranded in the middle of the ocean going to you know from Maine to wherever in Canada like I can't go on the internet and look up a recipe I can't do anything like that it's you're completely on your own you just have to figure it out
1: If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier happier and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t-shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well-being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content, as well as providing free support systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health. So you talk about you're time poor you're, you're being asked to do everything like yeah, everything mm-hmm. not only just provide sustenance to your clients but also having to do all the flowers and various other bits and to keep mm-hmm. the garden alive at what point was it that mm-hmm. you became alerted that it was actually having an impact on yourself you talked about there were some physical bits in terms of burning yourself through tiredness etc mm-hmm. but but when did it actually start? really ringing alarm bells you go out. hold on so this is this is too much i'm i'm not coping here
0: I think mine was, I was on day seven out of 11 days straight of doubles that I was doing. And I just couldn't come up with menus anymore. I mean, you have burnout, mental health burnout, but we also have menu burnout. And usually, you know, when there were three of us, it was fine. We all have, we have three brains that we can pick. We have, we have three creative brains that we can make whatever happen. And then when it comes down to, oh yeah, you need technically three meals a day or three entrees, three, whatever, three plates a day. And you just have to be able to come up with that on your own. And I mean, they're very healthy individuals. So it was very veggie heavy. And in Michigan, I'm like, we only have a certain amount of veggies that I can use here. So I was trying to be creative on that. And I just, that's where the menu burnout hit me hard. But that same day, I, and a lot of people didn't even know about this. I called the maintenance and I was just on the floor. I was like, I can't, I can't do this, guys. I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I took Saiva a little like catering dishwasher so I had a lot of pots and pans in there and just threw them in it takes 90 seconds and then it's done and I was it was crazy I was doing so much and I took everything out I like piled them up and I walked over and I tripped and I essentially threw the pans trying to then catch myself and they ended up being thrown against this white cabinet that had china in it and dented the thing and I'm on the floor like oh no and dislocated my own pinky at the same time had to pop it back into place and I'm just on the floor looking at the dents and that was the thing I was most concerned about was the dents in the cabinet I was terrified and so I called maintenance I was like I need you to come in here no questions asked and this has to stay between us like this can't go back to anybody and they found me I was on the floor like all the pots and pans were still on the floor like I was just sitting there like taping my finger at this point and I was pointed at the cabinet and they're like, oh no, but they were great. They took pictures of it. They sent it to the company and then they brought in a guy and the guy fixed it and it looked like it had never, had never worked. But I was so scared about that cabinet over anything else. And I still had to get up and then finish cooking dinner and serve it to them without anybody noting, (laughs) like nobody knew it was like that for weeks. And every time the estate manager came in, I was terrified that she was going to see the dents in the cabinet. And I'm like, well, yep, that was my fault.
1: (laughs) Then you had that on top of having to, yeah, the emotional regulation and having to deal with all that. Right. Mm -hmm. So what was life looking like for you? Were you sleeping well? Did you get much time to sleep during this period of time?
0: No. And I mean, I, I still don't sleep because I, you just, there is one, (laughs) there is one night I woke up in the middle of the night just like completely just woke up just couldn't go back to sleep because I forgot to take the coffee grounds out of the coffee maker and put new ones in and I couldn't go back to sleep so it was like 2 a.m I was finally asleep and woke myself up in a panic because I forgot to take the coffee grounds out of the coffee maker and that's part of my job is if they use the coffee maker i Take the coffee grounds out. I put a new filter in and more coffee grounds in. So all they have to and fill up the water. So all they have to do in the morning is just hit the button and it turns on. So sleeping was just not, you, you can't turn your brain off. It's like you're on call 24-7, even when you're trying to sleep at night. There's crazy lists, and that's my thing is I always do prep lists. And that's just how I get through a day. I'm like, all right, today I gotta do this, this, this. So beverage stock, I gotta do the coffee. I have to do turn down, I have to make bouquets, I have to go buy flowers, all this kind of stuff. Like, I'm gonna go, you know, I have to polish the stainless. Every single day, it was a whole list of things that I had to do. So at night, that's all I could think about. I'm like, well, what do I have to do tomorrow? Like, I still have to get through tomorrow. And then when I did have a day off, I didn't move. I would have to do laundry, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do simple tasks like clean up my room or put away the dishes. It's just, it takes so much out of you. And then when you finally have a day, you you can't do anything. You're just paralyzed, essentially. It's crazy.
1: There was someone I I spoke to a while ago who called it day off depression when you have that one Mm -hmm. day off and you're literally your your body just goes no that's it you can't you're exhausted you're mentally physically exhausted you can't do anything Mm -hmm. and you're just gonna lay here and wait until you go back to work and then somehow you find the energy to get back up and and do another seven to eleven days straight through again right
0: yeah it's insane and adrenaline is keeping you on task for that i know caffeine like played a huge role like here we have this thing called it's a essentially a energy drink but like Energy bubbly water, I guess it's called Celsius, and it's here they market it for like fitness and all this kind of stuff. But it's the one thing that I mean for me, like coffee. Like I have a lull after I have coffee; it's like I have energy for two hours, and then I just get really tired. But so with Celsius, I think it's like two hundred milligrams of caffeine, and it just keeps you going all day. And so my significant other introduced me to it when I was on the yacht with him in Ensenada, Mexico. And I loved it. It was great. And so then I started drinking it in Michigan, would bring it to work, that kind of stuff. And then when I was on the boat, I got some of the crew to get into it. And then so, you know, you would supplement here's Celsius, here's this energy drink, but here's also liquid IV, which are these little powder packets you put into water to up your hydration by three. So and it was just (sighs) the two of those, like I would just all day, I was like, okay, well, I got to be hydrated, but I need caffeine. So here we go. It became the running joke uh, between me and my partner of just saying like, wow, we should really be like Celsius should sponsor us because that's all we just get more and more people hooked on it. It's crazy. But, you know, and most of them are all in the industry because everybody's just so tired and all we do is just drink coffee all day. It's like, well, either that or I mean, so many, especially in the yachting industry, like cocaine's huge. It's like, well, I don't want to do that. So you're Celsius, I guess, you know, it's something different. (laughs)
1: Oh my god! So if it's 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 self-medication, whether it's legal or very well, cleverly marketed retail sports performance drinks, or either way, you're doing Mm -hmm. what you need to do in order to be able to get through it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you took a job as a I don't know, like a cleaner, or as a financial Mm -hmm. banker? Which, to be fair, is probably not a good representation because financial bankers are probably also drinking high amounts of caffeine amongst other things but like (laughs) can you imagine if there's part of the job description they said by the way your body and your brain aren't likely to be able to handle the amount of work that we're going to throw at you so find your poison of choice to keep you going would you go for that job would you go no way like that's just not something you would do it's it becomes normal not acceptable
0: i mean that's why like substance abuse is so big in the industry i mean you can't turn your brain off okay so you're gonna drink yourself to sleep or you're so tired all the time All right, so you're going to start doing cocaine. But I mean, that's what a lot of people resort to. And it's sad that we just don't have the resources. We don't have the extra people. We don't have the help. And even any of that, just one little thing to help could make a huge difference. But people aren't willing to do it. People aren't willing to hire. People don't have the money to hire. It's all for grabs. So it just puts everybody in these crappy positions where they have to choose how to help themselves. Mm. It's crazy.
1: It does sometimes feel like a self-perpetuating industry, but there are, mm-hmm. I mean, we get to see it, we're quite fortunate, there are there are pockets mm-hmm. of business owners or individuals who understand that actually it's well-being mm-hmm. and the right fuel and the right energy and the right culture and the right support equals a long-term yeah. viable business. But unfortunately, it's had to come at detrimental costs, which was you know, COVID and people experiencing mm-hmm. a, a huge shortage of staff as a result of COVID because for the first time, our industry took a breath and went, Oh wait, hold on a sec. This is what it's like to be awake during sunrise and have three square meals a day, and to drink water, and to focus on myself as a human being Mm -hmm. rather than just a machine within a cog. Which is uh, exactly yeah, and
0: that's you know, and I, COVID did a lot of damage on a lot of things on a lot of people, and well, one of like there there were some good things that came out of COVID, and like I refuse to just look at the all the bad things that happened during COVID. And obviously, it's still happening. We're hitting a surge in Michigan where it's coming back a little bit. And it's, you know, it's crazy. That's always going to be a thing now, you know, that the flu, the cold, these other respiratory viruses, it's always going to come back, it's always going to be a thing. But people took a minute, because they were forced to. And I don't think that if if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't have people would still be the robot. And, and I always say robot, but I know that that's a horrible way to describe it. But you wake up, you do your job, you go home, you do the thing. You wake up again the next day, you do the same thing. And that's just kind of what it began to feel like. I was like, well, I just have to be a robot in order to survive this. But then during COVID, a lot of people, like especially in the industry, because the hospitality industry wasn't, you know, you can go without restaurants. People can just eat at home. It's not a requirement for people to live. And so a lot of people in the industry, they were like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> they got a break and i know so many people that left the industry people that i went to culinary school with that were amazing chefs they're like "Hmm, i'm good i don't wanna and that's that's like well all right like good honestly that's great good for you but now i'm like well the rest of us are still dying on this side but you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's, it's crazy and it really it gave people a time to think
1: but it's so sad, isn't it? Like it's an amazing, it's an amazing mm-hmm. industry. And we put a post out fairly recently that mirrored some of my thoughts about the fact that we've only been going for three years and we're seeing some incredible changes mm-hmm. that I never thought I would see in my lifetime in hospitality. Absolutely. But then the, all the comments afterwards, we have so many people who are still experiencing the challenges that it has to bring. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. my God, how long is it going to take until everyone wises up and understands that in order to run a healthy and successful business, you're going to need staff you're going to need to be able to retain your teams Mm -hmm. and for them to be healthy and happy. And that's going to enable you to have a successful business, even during financial Mm -hmm. hardship times. And hopefully at some stage, you'll be able to get to a stage where all those people, you know, your friends, for example, can come back into the sector and go, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it one last shot, one last shot with this employer and this environment. And if it doesn't work, then I'm out, I'm out for good, but finding those employers and finding those roles that are actually, conducive to long-term sustainability i think is vitally important and we need to do more of celebrating those guys really and and those businesses and organizations who are doing those things
0: absolutely i agree 100 percent. i think that people should and that's you know part of the reason i mean one of the many reasons that i love this company and i love what they do and it's i'll always share the post i always send it to some of the people that i know that are into the industry or people that aren't even and i even brought it up One of the things that I do on the side, and now I'll go back to doing a little bit more now that I'm kind of taking a little bit of a break before I start the next private chef or whatever adventure is I substitute teach. So I would do like advanced culinary or advanced pastry. And then I was at one of, it wasn't even the school, the culinary school that I went to was one that my significant other went to. His old chef asked me to come in and teach a class about front of the house. So serving. And so I just went over like the nine reasons for remarkable service or things that you can do, like how to serve, you know, you serve from the left with food, you serve beverages and soups from the right, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was able to do it and really connect with these students. We did like a tray relay race. It was just such a fun day for everybody. And so I keep going back to the school because I love what they're doing. I love that they're doing things differently than some of the other schools. And when I was there teaching that day, they had an advisory board meeting. And So Garrett is my significant other. So his old chef asked me to just sit in on it. Here's lunch, just, you know, sit on it. If you want to say something, say something, if not. And so they were so welcoming. And one of the things that I brought up, you know, they were like, well, what are these topics? And I was like, you need to teach these students about mental health and how to learn coping skills with the stress that they're going to be under in the industry. They're young, they're high schoolers, they're junior and seniors in high school. So like 16 to 18 years old, pretty much. Mm -hmm. They're new to it. If they learn the coping skills now, they don't need to go to drugs and alcohol and excessive amounts of caffeine and all that kind of stuff. Like they can learn this now. And just being able to see, I mean, there's something about being on an advisory board panel and saying something, it's like, well, are they actually going to do something about it? They did within weeks, they took off with it. And now, because at the same time. It's a a career tech school. So basically, they have all these different careers. They have a nursing program. They have a culinary program. They have an IT program, all these different things. So they brought in some of the nursing students to go over how to deal with mental health. And here are some signs of depression and anxiety, how to cope with that. And I was like, when they told me that last time I was there, I was there a few weeks ago. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that they completely took off with it. And these students now, you have two industries that are working together in the form of they're high schoolers. If high schoolers can do this, why can't adults do this? What's stopping us from talking to nurses and all these other healthcare professionals that can actually help us? Why can't we offer therapy for people in the industry? Or why does therapy have to be so expensive, even online? Like the cheap therapy that's online, it's you can text and call with a therapist. It's still $60 a month that a lot of people in the industry can't even pay because they're not earning enough money for that. They're living paycheck to paycheck if we could fix one thing and here's extra support for you, or here are the coping skills that you can go with. There's all these different resources and learn it at a young age. I wish I learned that stuff at a young age. like, <laughs> yeah, It would have right? just been easier. Like, yeah, like the mindfulness, the breathing techniques, that kind of stuff. So when you're in a pinch, you, when you just need a minute to breathe and to reset your mind, like here are all the ways to do it. So now I have all these high schoolers that know how to do it. And it, it makes me very happy. Like I'm very proud that they're learning that and that they're able to go into the industry if that's what they choose. I mean, obviously, they're high schoolers, so they may change their mind, but at least they have some resources. They already have a base of knowledge that a lot of us didn't have because mental health, it wasn't something that was talked about ever.
1: No, no, it's very much a but, dirty, yeah. a dirty secret mm-hmm. if you are unwell. Because the last thing you don't ever see mm-hmm. is weak. You don't want to be seen as the weak link in a, yeah. in a, Whether you're front of house or back of house, you've got a team that depends on you, you've got customers that depend on your service as Mm -hmm. well. And you don't want to be seen as that weak link. But I think it's great that people like yourself are representing this so well and providing the future generation with the tools that they need in order to be able to Mm -hmm. cope with an industry that is becoming slowly but surely a little bit softer. You know, you still have to put the Mm -hmm. hours in to learn your craft. You still have to, you know, if you want to be the best, you still have to dedicate yourself, but not at the cost of your health physically mentally or the Mm -hmm. health of your relationships it shouldn't have to come at that and i think the sooner we can get to that equilibrium the better and more sustainable it's going to be for us right as an industry we're going to be able to hit that point where people come and they love it and like most of us do that work in hospitality you fall in love with it but Mm -hmm. you don't want to stay in an abusive relationship right
0: exactly one you know another part of it i mean i don't know how it is in the uk so I grew up in Switzerland, so like I was able to see restaurants there and the way that the staff worked. And Switzerland more is a little different when it comes to mental health, or at least it was when I was there. But in the U.S., it's slowly becoming, like you said, not a, it's not a dirty secret anymore. People are talking about it, this kind of stuff. But there's still times, I mean, I couldn't let the principal see that I was anxious. Like, I was on the boat. I was so nauseous. And I was on so many medicines to make sure that I didn't get seasick because I wasn't expecting to do this trip. And I just remember serving dinner for the first time on the boat. And I was like, I'm so nauseous. I'm so anxious. I was at home 10 hours ago. (laughs) I shouldn't be on this trip. And, And it was just because the executive chef couldn't get into Canada. That's the only reason that I ended up having to do that trip is because they couldn't get into Canada and I could. But I was tired. I was so anxious about being there. I was anxious that I had to leave my dogs with an amazing like amazing friends of ours, which was great that they were able to take the girls and I will always appreciate that because I was in such a pinch. There was guilt, there was anxiety. I was on this boat for the first time, like this new boat, new galley, new so new kitchen, new everything. I don't know where anything was. I was opening up cabinets the whole time. I was like, I don't know where anything you know, it's it's crazy. But I couldn't when I was serving it's like, nope. They can't see that I'm tired. They can't see that I'm anxious. They can't see that I'm struggling to be here right now. And that's the thing is And I do kind of miss that. I'm not going to lie. When you're in in a kitchen in a restaurant, you can hide in the back. Your guests usually don't see you. Or sometimes, I mean, it depends on the restaurant and the kitchen layout. But nine times out of 10, like, they don't see you. Here? Oh, that's all they do. And my galley was completely open. So they would be sitting in the salon that's right next to it. And I'm trying to cook quietly and do dishes quietly as to not disturb them while we're underway. Like, we're in the ocean. And it was crazy. And I was like, well, I just have to act so normal. And I have to look like I am not so anxious right now and so tired or so nauseous. (laughs) And you just have have to figure it out.
1: That's a bit of a, a, that's a juggle. But like, how do we move forward from that? So private chefing, it's obviously a buzz. You know, you get to experience some incredible Mm -hmm. things, see some incredible sights. Yet the client must never know. Or the client has to, you know, they booked a service in the same way that if you went to go mm-hmm. and eat at a restaurant or an amusement arcade, you wouldn't want someone pushing you into your seat and then chucking you on Absolutely. a roller coaster and not really checking that you're strapped in. So, how do we ensure, like, what small little tweaks can that private service industry make in order to be able to keep the clients happy whilst also providing a better balance for their teams, in your words or your opinion?
0: I mean, I think like having the people, you need hands, and that's my thing. like somebody said this a long time ago, and I'll never forget it, and I, I hated it when they said it, and it was somebody that I wasn't close with and didn't really appreciate it. you know, I was just that. but they said that at the end of the day, all you do is put food on a plate. That's all you're responsible for is feeding somebody. It's food. You're not going to kill somebody, you're not responsible for their life. like it's not like being an EMS or a firefighter or doctor or whatever. like at the end of the day, that's all you're doing. And to me, like that hurt. But I found myself sometimes on some of these trips or something like that, I was like, all I gotta do is put food on this plate. That's all I had to do. And that was the goal that I needed to reach in order to survive another day. I had to dumb it down like that. And I hated the fact that I had to change that. And I had to because I didn't have the extra hands. It was an amazing job at first when there were three of us. I got to see some really cool things. I got to do a lot of really great whatever and between the three of us you got two days off a week like unless you were on a trip and so I did this trip and the executive chef was great and he was like all right you know you get four days off just to recoup and do laundry and just because you just did this so thank you and it was wonderful when there were enough of us but as soon as the two of them left even as soon as the executive chef left the intern and I were like this is not good now it's between the two of us and he's going back to school and I was like oh oh no this is not good and then it just became me. And I was like, well, I just need extra hands. And I think even just one person and sometimes even the housekeepers and I love them. And that was probably one of the best things that I about this job was the team was amazing. I loved this team, the housekeepers, the groundkeeper, my like the groundskeepers, they came in, they were serving wine one day. They came in and helped for events. Like, I don't cool. know most people who are working on grounds or maintenance. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Will help out, and they put on a button down, and they're serving wine and serving food and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know many people that would be willing to do that, but this team was, and so the housekeepers would sometimes set the table for me because I didn't have the hands to do it, and it, just having one extra pair or you know the people, the resources to do it, it's just so much easier. It just takes away even an ounce of pressure, and it makes a world of a difference, in my opinion. Like having Garrett come in and help me with that event. And then I had the intern come in as well. And he ended up, you know, he came back just for the day just to help me. And even with the three of us, I was like, we don't have enough hands. And so I brought in like, my great friend who's the facilities operator. like, he makes sure that the houses are okay. That's his job. And I'm like, I need you to cut bread for fondue for me. And he was like, okay. And he put on a chef coat, and he did it for me. And I was like, this <laughs> is the best. <laughs> you just need people. But We don't have enough people because the industry hurts sometimes and it's intimidating. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to give up essentially my entire life for a job that doesn't recognize what I'm doing or the hours that I'm putting in or doesn't pay enough to make that difference. And until we fix that, that base of we need to treat people the way that they should be treated, we need to appreciate them, we need to make them feel valued, nobody's going to come into the industry. What are they going to do? It? And then they're going to leave because they're miserable or they're going to come in and then deal with mental health issues that they never had before and go to substance abuse. You know, they, there's all these different routes that it can go. People just need to feel valued. And in order to do that, we need companies to start doing that as well. We need people to see that they're not robots. They're humans. They're people that are taking their day to give you a service, a service that obviously you're paying for. So and then there's that stigma of, you know, well, I'm paying for a service. It needs to be the best. Well, there's a lot of people that think like that. And then it's like, well, we don't have enough people, so it's not going to be the best no matter what. We can try our best. But in your opinion, it may not even, you know, it's all about the person that's actually experiencing it. Like, well, that wasn't the best, but it was the best that the chef could offer or the server or the bartender.
1: Yeah. In that and people situation. People just need to realize that. I think for me, the danger zone that we're in at the moment is that we do have those words that you're using. And I've heard it a couple of times now. We are literally just serving food. I mean, even I've used them. Fuck, I've used those words. We're just serving food to mm-hmm. people, right? We're just, we're just putting food on people's plate. The thing that I've always loved about hospitality is the level of professionalism and dedication. It's not just mm-hmm. It's not just a piece of lamb. It's not just a tomato. That tomato has had love thrown to it by the chef. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's been nurtured for six weeks of its life and it's been well-prepared and looked after. And so, I mean, I as I say, I'm completely guilty of saying it is just food at some stage. But I think, you know, in reality, it is one of the things that I love is is that dedication and that professionalism. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder whether the question is – and this is perhaps one for a different day, but whether it's not how much we can take away from the roles, but how much more we can add to the roles. And you, mm-hmm. you mentioned it multiple times in the best part of 60 seconds, which was value me. Like I will do your mm-hmm. job and I will do it and I will be tired and I will be pushed to the max, but show me that I'm valued and I will be able to continue. It doesn't necessarily yes, have to be that the cutting down of hours it doesn't necessarily have to be the 7 days off back to back it doesn't necessarily have to be that but it just means show me the value I'm a high performance athlete and the more you, that you mm-hmm. show me that I'm a valued high performance athlete the more I'll be continue to prepare to try and perform high
0: absolutely and that's it's a motivator people want to do well like at the like I believe fundamentally individuals want to do well but where's that motivation when you're exhausted. Where is that? I mean, I did the best that I could. And the best that I could in the last few weeks was probably about 70% of what I used to be able to do was my best. And I'm, you know, I'm somebody who graduated summa cum laude. Like I got A's in every single class I ever took. I have very high standards for myself, for individuals around me. And so the fact that I knew that I wasn't giving, I was giving the best that I could, but it wasn't 150% like I've been used to because I was just exhausted, you can't do that. It's unreasonable. It's unfathomable. Like nobody can do that. A hundred percent doesn't always mean a hundred percent because it's not always what you're able to give at the time. And that was something that I really had to think about. And that, and it did bother me for a long time. I was like, well, that wasn't my best, but I couldn't have done anything different today. And that's what I would have to tell myself. I was like, well, that was, that was all I was able to do. That was it. You know, I did the best that I could. And I mean, that was something that I grew up with was my parents. My parents didn't want like they didn't need us to all get A's. And I'm the youngest of seven kids. Like they didn't need us to all have A's and have perfect grades and be these amazing, perfect kids. That's never what they wanted. All they wanted was that at the end of the day, they wanted us to try our best. If our best was a C on some random test that you know you just suck at, you know, like, I'm sorry, biology, I'm not the best at biology. And so sometimes, you know, it was hard for me to get these great grades. But you know, if I came home with whatever grade, and it was the best I was able to do, they were content with that. And Mm -hmm. the same thing with this job, you know, I have very supportive parents. And they knew pretty much everything that was going on with work. And they saw a difference in me as well. Like they saw how tired I was, they saw the exhaustion, the fatigue, the depression, and like the anxiety of just, well, I have to go to work, you know, and come home. And they see that. And so for them, but they knew that at the end of the day, it was always my best. And I couldn't be more thankful for them and their support over the past few months. I know it hasn't been easy on any of us, (laughs) like them seeing me in the state that I was in towards the end of it, especially once I got let go. I mean, I was in complete shock. It was devastating. Mm. Like I just put in six months of insane work and it seems like for nothing. And I know it's not for nothing. Like I I know that. But at the same time, there's still something in my head saying that it was. Because I mean, what do I have to show for it? Like.
1: Yeah, especially when you've committed so much of your time, energy,
0: emotion—literally
1: mm-hmm. your blood, sweat, and tears—in order to be able to provide Absolutely. that service, and then at the end, of the day, it all just comes down to cost and, and the choice of someone else whether or not you continue. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's a sobering thought, isn't it?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, and it's very humbling for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I can't imagine. I mean, I've been in, I've been in a similar situation, so I kind of appreciate, but I can't imagine how much how that would have been. For you, especially after all of that investment as well, I'm sure it's something that a lot of our listeners will resonate with. But I think to look to round this off, what mm-hmm. I'm quite interested to understand is that if you were to go back into college and you were to meet a, a younger version of yourself, and you say, "Oh, hey, Bell, like it's me from the future. This is what you're likely to do." What sort of advice would you give to yourself? What would you say to yourself in that moment that would perhaps enable you to be a Bit better prepared or to make a few different decisions?
0: I think at the end of the day, like, and I've been asked this, and if I knew what had happened and, you know, ahead in the future, like, would I still have taken this position? And the answer is yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it was hard. But at first, like, I learned so much. And even when it was so hard and I was so tired and just exhausted, like, I still got to experience things that people don't get to experience. You know, I got to meet amazing people i got to work with people that i love and would do anything for and i told them i was like if you need anything i'm in the area just ask and i will help because it's it's a team you know i was able to form that team and i value that i value each and every single one of them in a different way and so i would still do it even though it was it was hard and it really took a toll on me i would still do it again i just wish that somebody had prepared me a little bit more for what the expectations were In, like, a job description and stuff like that, everything that I do and that I did was not listed in my job description. I mean, there were things that I was saying, I was like, well, I don't remember being told I had to do this until I had already accepted the position. And I told that to the new, or I guess the person who's taking over for the estate manager directly. I said, when they're ready to hire another private chef, be honest with them. If they still want to take the job when they know, how insane this is and everything that they're going to have to do, then great, they're the right person. But don't force somebody into a position because you weren't 100% honest to begin with. Because then you just put somebody in a position that they don't want to be in. And if they don't want to be in it, and then they're stressed out and they feel like they have to say that's not gonna be good for anybody. It's not gonna be good for the principals. It's not gonna be good for them. Nobody will be happy. But if you're honest, and there's some crazy chef that wants to put everything in and has that drive, has that, and I'm not saying I don't, I'm just saying that I've met some chefs that are 1000% willing to do these insane things (laughs) and work these crazy hours because they're just, they're built different. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how to say it other than that, (laughs) but but it's true. Like it's, that's just what it is. Then great. They're the person for the position. And then that's at the end of the day, what's going to be best for the principals. And that's still what I want. I, you know, I left And I still think about like, you know, I had a whole fermentation station going and I was like, wow, somebody should probably get rid of that. Nobody at this point in the house knows how to make sauerkraut or knows how to deal with the jalapenos that I have fermenting in the corner, you know, my own little fermentation station. Like there's so many things that I left open ended. And now I feel like, okay, well, I still want to do the best for the family because I was with them for so long. I mean, I traveled with them. You make a relationship with them and professional, obviously relationship, and it's But you're still with them a lot. You get to know them. You get to know what they enjoy, what they like, what they value. And so, you know, I still just want the best for them. And so I would still do it. But I wish that somebody would have been honest with me about what this position was actually going to be. That's the biggest thing. Because if I had gone in a little bit more prepared, then I wouldn't have been kind of punched in the gut once everybody left. And i was like, oh, no, like, (laughs) this is insane. Yeah. I am proud of what I did. But it was hard. It was. It was very hard. But I would do it again. It's crazy <laughs> to think about. But I was like, now I'm like, wow, would I actually? I'm like, yeah, I would do it again. It would suck, but I would do it again. You know, you learn a lot. Not everything's <laughs> perfect. Not everything's easy, obviously. But
1: no, it's, you know, about, you learn it's a lot about being it. well equipped to be able to deal with those difficult situations. You wouldn't send someone into a war zone in a paper cap and flip flops, exactly. would you? You don't yep. do that. You make sure mm-hmm. that people have the right skills, the right tools. They know exactly what they're getting themselves in for. And you're more likely to have long term. Yeah, long-term. and
0: resources too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm. maybe teach me how to make a bouquet instead of just being like, oh, here, well, here's a cutting garden. Here's all of our flowers, which are beautiful flowers that I don't want to ruin. <laughs> you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, I think that give people the opportunity to learn and nine times out of 10, they're going to take it. But you just have to give that to them. So it's crazy. Human beings yeah, always want to develop,
1: again. right? Human beings always want to, yeah,
0: exactly, progress,
1: and no matter what, like you don't get on a bike, fall off a bike, and go, no, that's it, <laughs> I'm done. I don't yeah, want to do this ever again. This. Same with swimming. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, well, oh, I didn't like that. Oh, sh- Never going to do it again.
1: <laughs> no, we're built to strive. It's we the are same built thing. to strive. Yeah. I really appreciate you. Firstly, I appreciate yeah, you reaching fun. out because you know it must be sort of nerve wracking to be able to reach out to someone who you don't really you don't know me personally, you know mm-hmm. of the Burnt Chef project, but also to be prepared to, to come on and talk about your own experiences. it's it takes a lot of gut. So well done for doing that. And thank you for, for taking the time and <laughs> the energy to do that.
0: Absolutely. Well I appreciate you having me. It was great talking to you.
1: No, the pleasure is all mine. And I can see so you're in you're in Michigan at the moment. I can see wreaths in the background as well. So
0: Yeah. <laughs> Still a lot of Christmas decorations up. <laughs>
1: yeah so this at the time of recording this is january i don't know when it will go out but like if it went out in march and mm-hmm. someone heard that there are wreaths up they would think okay this this girl needs uh <laughs> this, this girl needs a cleaner <laughs> she needs
0: to take down some decorations at this point <laughs> <laughs> just hanging on to the christmas feeling <laughs> i need the extra joy in my life now
1: <laughs> and is it coffee that you're drinking from what can only be described as a bucket
0: yeah yeah pretty much Yep. Yeah, i have i my, my coffee <laughs>
1: I think your coffee mug is the it's same, used, I mean, same as my yeah. head. <laughs> that's, that's one hell of a coffee mug.
0: I need Yeah, it's caffeine. I just, I've I've gotten so used to just drinking caffeine, I'm like slowly coming off of it. So instead of having, you know, I don't even know how many cups of coffee a day. Now it's just like, all right, we're just going to have one. And then that's it. So so it's like Good. slowly coming down from all the adrenaline and craziness that just occurred in the last six months.
1: Yes, <laughs> wow it's yeah. it's lovely to speak to you i wish you the very best of luck for the future as well you and as well. keep Thank in you. touch we always need yeah. more ambassadors especially internationally to come and do the work that you're doing in terms of speaking to students and promoting the fact mm-hmm. that we exist and there are support mechanisms there's free training for college students as well via our e-learning mm-hmm. so uh if you're ever interested in applying to be an ambassador absolutely. please do head over to our website and yeah I'd love to absolutely see you i'll
0: there. reach out to you about that Me too. All right. Well, it was wonderful to meet you and talk to you today. Bye. Have a great one.
1: Thanks very much. See you later. Bye.
0: See you later. Bye.